On today's show, our guest is Tom Ross. Tom is the creator and the founder of Design Cuts, which is an online marketplace and high-quality resource for designers. Tom has been in and around the online landscape for a very long time. However, it wasn't until he founded Design Cuts that his business really took off and became successful. In the process of it all working unbelievably well, Tom became part of the hustle and grind culture that was his ultimate undoing. With his health fading fast and his business growing rapidly, Tom was forced to take a step back and focus on himself, his health and relationships, and in the process, he was forced to regain the balance back into his life. Tom advocates a hustle and grind culture. There's nothing wrong with it, but listening closely as he shares with us exactly what happens if you go all in just a little bit too much. Please help me in welcoming Tom Ross. Well, good day, Tom. Welcome to the Go All In podcast, mate. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Robert. It's great to meet you. Appreciate you having me on. Awesome, man. Well, I like to start off all of my shows with a quick little get to know you quiz. It's pretty random. It's in no particular order. It's a little bit of fun to kind of loosen up the gray matter there and <laughs> friends and family listening or learn something about you that they don't already know. Just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. You ready? Yeah, sure. I don't know why. Donuts. Donuts. I'm going to ask I haven't, questions, had, I haven't had breakfast yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's nine o'clock in the morning where you are, so donuts are like morning tea time, right? Yeah, All right, here we go. Here's the quiz. I'm going to ask the questions. Ready? Cardio or weights? Okay. Weights. Can you ride a motorbike? No. Ever been skydiving? No, scatter heights. <laughs> Meditation or contemplation? Meditation. I have to, I have to ask, uh, I have to throw the... the softer non-masculine question in there do you prefer puppy dogs or kitty cats hmm, good question uh kitties <laughs> what was your first car mate my first car was a i think it was a crappy little ford and i still drive a crappy little ford just a different one so uh i'm i'm known for the record like i have a worse car than my whole team my friends my girlfriend everyone is like what is that that you're driving but it's become like a badge of honor for uh, trying try to live the dream of, you know, reinvest into your business and don't be flashy and that kind of thing. <laughs> Do you spend a lot of time in your car? Uh, no, thankfully. <laughs> that's, that's probably why. I think the folks that, that have a commute and a long commute like to drive a nicer car. And, uh, and I oh, I, car either, yeah, I, I totally get it. I'm like five, ten minutes back and forth to my office every day and that's it. Yeah, that's it. Exactly right. Exactly right. All right, man, if, if money was no object and you could have any job in the world that you wanted, what would you do? Honestly, what I'm doing now, I know that sounds cliche, but yeah. Nice, man. That's, that's good. You found what you love. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the dream. <laughs> doing something you love. That's awesome. All right, serious. Last, last question of the quick quiz. Okay, serious hit me. Lasting question. All right, man. If you could go back in time to any point in time and meet one person for 15 minutes, who would you go and meet and what would you say to them and why? Oh, man. That is an incredibly good question. I think... Rather than a historical figure, it would honestly be um, 
like probably a relative, maybe grandparent that's passed away where I only got to know them as a kid. So never had that adult relationship. So to go back and be able to have those conversations would be pretty sweet. I always think it would be really interesting to go back and see your grandparents in their 20s. Yeah, yeah, interesting or scary. You'd probably be like, what are they doing? (laughs) Old school dance moves. I wonder if they were as crazy as what we were. They probably were, right? It's just in a different I think probably worse. Yeah. Yeah, they'd probably look at us now like staring into our phones and be like, what are these losers doing? Exactly, and we would see them doing these funny dances, right, wondering what they're doing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It'd be good fun. All right, mate, a little bit of fun to kick off the podcast there. Thank you for sharing that with us. Well, people come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, Tom... Could you please share with us your biggest go all in story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think hopefully I'm quite a good case study of that. I know you you checked out my show and I talked about how I was working 100 hours a week for the first year, year and a half to get my company off the ground. And I think before that, I thought, you know, I know what hard work is. And I really didn't. This was kind of next level. This is when I got sucked into the whole hustle culture scene and mentality and it pretty much ended up ruining me as you saw it it ended up putting me in the hospital and having surgery etc etc and just really shifted everything in my life in a big way so for me that was yeah a perfect example of going all in I guess and I equate it to when runners hit the wall and you just kind of keep keep pushing through and so it's like interesting to know what your limits are, right? But when you're really pulling those kind of hours and just running on adrenaline the whole time, uh, it becomes almost like a drug which comes back to bite you invariably. So for the people listening, you've, you've had a business and you've been in the internet scene and internet space for a very long time, but then you got a hold of this, this business that you've got now. Tell us a little bit about that and, and the genesis of that because that's what you're referring to, isn't it? Yeah, sure. So the business is Design Cuts. And historically, I'd been a designer and entrepreneur. I kind of learned design and entrepreneurship in tandem from quite a young age. That ended up segueing into a few things like I ran quite a large blog teaching design. And so then from there, I I kind of used everything I'd learned and a few of the connections as a platform to launch Design Cuts. We started off doing deals for designers. So it was the products that you say today. And now it's much more than that. It's a marketplace and you get educated and there's a community and a forum, all these different things. But Really, the genesis of it was looking around and thinking, no one's doing a particularly good job at this. And so I just systematically sat down and worked out how to be the best in that space in every area. So from product quality to price to customer service. And that was kind of fun. You could literally analyze every competitor and be like, well, they're outsourcing their support to China and it's not very good. And, you know, they're not pushing their product quality enough. And so when when you end up trying to be number one in every area, that that's when it gets exciting. I remember a huge lesson for me was I would look at a million dollar business. This is when I was a bit more naive and younger. And I would think, well, if, um, if they're doing a million dollars and I do 10% as good a, a product or service as them, then I'm going to make a hundred thousand dollars. Right. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, because who would choose the product or service that's 10% as good. They'd just go with the number one. And that was such a a dumb thing looking back, but it really, really was a great lesson where it's like, there's no point being number 17 or number five. You need to try and be number one, even if that means niching down a bit more. 
So you were completely committed and all in on this thing once it started to get a little bit of traction. What was it that took you down the path of working 100 hours a week? That's crazy, man. How did you end up down that path? I mean, running on adrenaline is one thing. Being a workaholic is another thing. Some sort of addiction going on there. What, what was it? Tell <laughs> us a little bit about that because, you know, you refer to that as, as a big go all in story. But how did you end up in that place? And maybe there's a lesson for the, for the listeners to learn about that. Yeah, so I think a lot of it was the content that I was consuming. So I'm not sure how I stumbled across it, but it was that whole hustle scene online. Obviously, a few big proponents of that, Gary Vaynerchuk, etc. But even like Elon Musk and eventually Casey Neistat and people like that. And I've been fascinated by the impact that your content stream has on your psyche. So the same way, right, teenage girls will read beauty magazines and get body issues because of the unrealistic standards of beauty. The same thing applies in entrepreneurship or business or anything and when your whole feed becomes like hustle 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 then that becomes pretty damaging but at the time you know it gives you a real burst of energy and then what compounds that is when it starts to work that's the addictive quality because we saw traction from day one Mm -hmm. and so you end up realizing that the harder you're working the more money you're making and the more successful you're getting and so at what point does that stop and you can't step back. You're quite blinkered. So you don't see the bigger picture. You don't see the red flags or the burnout coming or the ceiling that you might hit. You think, well, if I keep working harder, I'll keep getting more success and it will just kind of go on infinitely. And of course that isn't the case, but that really propels it massively. It, it really was like a drug and yeah, that's. <laughs> what, what was, what was the turning point? Did you come tell us what was the, the grinding halt, man? Did you like, have an accident and hit the wall one day and and crash or was it something in your mind a relationship what was it that happened i remember i started burning out and thinking oh this doesn't feel good but then it would start happening more regularly so i think at first it it happened and then it didn't happen for a few months but then before i knew it it was every month and then every week and then it became pretty constant where it's like i feel terrible all the time and then very run down were you yeah, but almost worse than that. Uh, I'm sure you might have experienced um, bad burnout at points. I know you're a hard worker yourself, mm-hmm. and it's, I think everybody kind of, has. Everybody knows what it feels. Yeah, like. right. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you kind of go comatose, right? It's it's mm-hmm. like when you got the bad flu or something like that, and your brain is just muddy and and you can't really do anything. It's horrible. It's like the opposite of the high and the super productivity. And so that became a bit of a constant state, and then various health issues started creeping in. I was getting sick every single morning, uh, literally like vomiting every single morning for for months. It was pretty terrible. I'd be driving to work and be vomiting on the road. And it was just that, yeah, it was pretty, pretty grim period in life. And then all of that led to having stomach surgery and then a really rough recovery on the back of that. And as someone who runs their own thing, I'm sure you can empathize. It doesn't stop. And so there was no like, let's go and take some time off and, and focus on health. It was like, nah, because if I do that, the company goes away and people lose their jobs. And yeah. so it just had to, had to keep going. So there was pretty much zero balance at this point. So, so what, what's the lesson in there? What's the lesson in there that you can share with people that are in the, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that are in a startup phase, listen to this podcast. So I get a lot of communication from people in social media, messenger in, in my text messages. I get a lot of text messages from people that are in a startup phase and they're, they're all like, oh man, it's about the hustle and grind. And it's the Gary V thing, you know, like I, I've just got to, I'm going to be the hardest working person in the room. And you know, that's, that's a famous saying that, you know, the, the rock kind of corner guys <laughs> like, Oh, he's another 11 and he's like a hundred, you know, 150 kilos. Yeah. Well, 
$500 million in the bank. You're the hardest working person in the room when you've got people <laughs> properly and you're chauffeuring around and you're doing all of those things. But a, a normal person can't do that. What's the lesson that you would share? I think there's a bunch of lessons, to be honest. And I am predicting there's going to be a huge crash within this community because I feel like I got on it a little bit earlier. You know, I, I was getting into it in a big way about six years ago. And obviously hard work's been around forever, but it has become a real culture where everyone's purporting to hustle their face off and mm. I'm a thoroughbred entrepreneur and it's become trendy to be like, I never sleep and I've got a really bad lifestyle and that kind of thing. And all of that is fundamentally really dangerous, but I can see a huge upswing in it, particularly in like the last one to three years. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm worried is going to happen is in the next one to three years, a lot of people are going to go through something similar to what I went through and they're not going to see it coming. Because I know I didn't at the time. There were so many red flags, right? I had so many of my business partners saying, you can't keep this up. And my loved ones saying, you know, you got to get some more rest. My business mentors, who I had a lot of respect for, were saying, you know, aim to get one big thing done each day, one big project. And I was like, screw you, I'm getting 15 done a day. And (laughs) so I, I was ignoring everything. And everything felt like a cliche because you're so hyped up and high on the whole hustle thing Mm -hmm. that stuff like you can't sprint a marathon. It, it didn't even make sense to me. Yes, I was sorry, like, well, let me print 40 kilometers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it really is that. You're like deranged almost with it. So I think there's a few important points to note. One is that you definitely can't sprint a marathon. But the second thing is you probably wouldn't want to. Mm. And I feel like through trying to be The Rock or Gary Vee or anyone like that, you're going to end up miserable. I think to an extent we're seeing a bit of the highlight reel and the narrative that they're painting. And this is not me trying to razz on Gary Vee, for example. I've, I've got a huge amount of respect for him. I think he's a bit of a genius. I've got all his books. I think you need to take what you can from their content. So, for example, with, uh, with The Rock, he's working until 2 a.m. He's then going to meet fans and sign their stuff in the street and then gets about two hours sleep and then gets up and goes to the gym at like 5 a.m. It's unreal. That would kill most people. And I think you need to realize the same way that you're not going to go and be the fastest person in the world or or the strongest person in the world. You're probably not going to be the biggest hustler in the world. And so by trying to match the people that genetically are, that's really not going to, you know, some people can survive on two hours sleep. Most people can't. So you need to recognize your own limits. I need quite a lot of sleep, but I wasn't getting it. And that's why I crashed. Mm. I'm sure if I had Dwayne Johnson's genetics, I'd be able to push myself more or like go to the gym more, but I don't. And so it's about being realistic and not trying to fit into someone else's mold, I think. And if, uh, if you're telling me, Robert, that you've got a lot of you know, hustlers in your audience, I really like if you're listening to this and you're going down this path, please, please like talk to some people around you, try and get some perspective and realize you don't want to be this one dimensional hustler. There is more to life. You know, I truly believe, I I think people are preaching extremes because that's what gets attention, right? It's, it's kind of cool to be like, you can't be in a relationship and be a real entrepreneur. Like (laughs) there's so much damaging information out there saying like, you have to give up your whole twenties and not go out ever and work every weekend and have no friends because then it will pay off. Like what's your end goal? Do you actually want to have a happy life and a successful life? Because they're not mutually exclusive, you know? Yeah, no, and I think there's there's something to be said for for people saying those extreme things so they they stick in your mind and you you just quoted a couple of them like that. Um, one one of the you know I'm very careful who I listen to 
I'm very careful because I spend a lot of time in podcasting land, interviewing people, talking to people, doing various different things. But when I'm not doing that, I'm listening to podcasts as well because it always it refines my skill set as a, as a person being interviewed when I'm interviewed and when I'm interviewing. So there's always something to be learnt from listening to it. So I, I think in some ways I listen to stuff from a different perspective. You know, there's some Jedi Grand Master interviewers out there and there's always something to be learnt from that. One of the ones that I listen to a lot is Jocko Willick. So you might know who, who Jocko is. He's an American Navy SEAL. I've spoken about him a couple of times on this podcast. And he wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. And that book is about taking charge of everything in your life and, and you owning those things. But he recently released a second book called The Dichotomy of Leadership because extreme ownership can go too far down one end of the spectrum where you take ownership and responsibility for everything but you can't do that in life because there's teams of people that are around you. There's other things that are happening in your life. And it's an interesting kind of dichotomy to use Jocko's words that he wrote a book called Extreme Ownership and then he had to write another book to qualify it <laughs> called The Dichotomy of Leadership. It's like, no, no, yep. no, we don't want you to go all the way down the far end of the scale. We want you to go down there every now and then, but then come back and have a little bit more balance in your life. You know, and, I, and for me personally, I don't really believe in a work-life balance. I just believe there's life. There's no such thing as work and life. There's two things. I don't think, as you said, they're not, for me, they're not mutually exclusive. I think it's just just how you live your life, you know, and if you want to work mm-hmm. late at night, you can work late at night, but just make sure you have maybe a little bit more perspective. It doesn't necessarily be need to be about balance, but just because you're working at 11 o'clock at night, it doesn't mean you're hustling and grinding. There's plenty of people out there working a late night shift in a job where they're not hustling yeah. for themselves. It's really no different. And I think it's about the language and the people that you're listening to. What would you say to that? Yeah, I think balance is the key. I, I would agree there's not always divisive lines between work and life, but everything needs to have balance. I can't think of a single thing in life where mm. you push it to an absolute extreme and it's good. There is always a middle ground. And I think that is the damaging aspect of this whole culture because, yeah, nothing can be like a 1,010%, right? And it shouldn't be. I think it it sucks because it starts sucking the life out of you in other areas. So mm-hmm. you might go to a party and, and your brain can't shut off from that mode. It's like, I, I knew a guy at school, right, who went so all in on guitar <laughs> that he got incredible. Like every night he was practicing for eight hours a day and doing all the scales and all that kind of stuff. But he became boring because he wouldn't shut up about guitar and people were trying to have a laugh with him. And it's like, man, just chill out and, you know, think about other stuff in life. There's more in life than guitar. You don't want to do the same thing with your business, I believe. And I think as well, when you're that blinkered, you you really can't see the bigger picture. So even though now I'm working like super hard, but not to that crazy extent, I'm able to make better decisions because I can empower my team. I can look at the wider business strategy. I can actually delegate when I should be doing it. And when, when you're nonstop hustling, it's like you're on a, a self-imposed hamster wheel right? You just sprint, 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 sprint. You never actually stop and go, oh, hold on. Someone else should be doing this job or they could do that better or I, I should be focusing over there instead. Yeah. There's, there's, you said, you said the O word in there, obsessed. You know, there's, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's a famous saying out there and even a book written about it called Be Obsessed or Be Average, B-O-B-A, right? So that's, that's Grant Cardone through and through. And I love Grant Cardone and I've been following his stuff since he's been around, since he wrote his first book. I've read all the Grant Cardone books. I've got tons of his products. I've learned so much in and around sales and business from him. And when you really listen to what he's saying, you know, he's saying, yeah, there's nothing wrong with being obsessed with playing the guitar for eight hours a day, but geez, just, you know, 
you don't have to go all the way down the end of that spectrum, but you have to go there to get there. That's the dichotomy in it. But you've got to be able yep. to understand that perspective to bring it back and, and to make it happen like that. Do you, do you think that being a little bit obsessed about your business was the reason that it was successful or was it going to be successful anyway? This is the thing I struggle with, right? Because now I'm preaching to everyone, have balance, do all of this. But I can't say for sure. I'm like, well, maybe that's the only reason it is a success. It's because I killed myself in those early years. And, and I, I think that's a really familiar narrative, right? So I, I do struggle with that where I'm like, I don't want anyone to go through what I went through. But at the same time, it kind of works up to a point. But definitely, if I went back, I'm sure I could do it better and more balanced. It's like we didn't hire anyone for 10 months after the launch of the company. That's crazy because I thought I could do it all. Like, that's absolutely ridiculous. Like, we had the capital to do it. We should have done it. And we could have scaled better and faster. So I think, um, yeah, for, for me, when we're looking at, you know, you mentioned Grant, Grant Cardone and um, we, we've touched on a few names today. I think you need to pick and choose the elements that resonate with you totally. instead of just blindly accepting all of it, right? Yeah. And I love doing that now where it's like, I follow a bunch of people and I'm like, well, I kind of like what you're talking about there, but I, I like that bit over there from that other person. And then you mix that with some self-awareness of what you're actually into. That's a much healthier perspective. Like, for example, we talked about Gary Vee. I now listen less to his kind of rah-rah hustle stuff and I enjoy his tactical business stuff, which I always did. But I also love his stuff about how you treat your community and build a community and, and really care about people. And that's a side that often gets neglected in his content because the loudest stuff is the hustle stuff. But he's got some absolute gems in there, like the thank you economy, which mm-hmm. have been some of the foundations of my learning. And, and I know inherently what I love doing is building disruptive brands and highly engaged, positive, fun communities online. And so then I can go and just pick out the bits. So it's like I've been watching a bit more of Marie Forleo lately and I'm really enjoying how she brands herself and how she builds a a community around what she's doing. And Seth Godin has some nuggets over there. So you just pick out the bits you like. But as I say, I think the real damaging thing is I am going to get every word of this person's mouth like like it's the gospel and just accept it blindly and then map that to my life, whether it's a good fit or not. And I can totally see how, how that happens to people. You know, I, I can totally see how if you just discovered your journey as an entrepreneur and this online thing or whatever it is that you're in business trying to do and, and you just discovered Gary Vee, he would be a, a really super inspirational character and, and that would be something that resonates nicely with you. And, and I totally agree with you. Just take the bits that, that are meaningful to you and just actually flush the rest that doesn't really mean much to you and there's always some nuggets to to be learning there i listen to another one as well uh from a guy named ryan mickler he's got a a podcast called order of men and his podcast is amazing he's so slick and professional and polished in his delivery in the podcast and every time i listen to it it's like that's that's what my podcast should sound like and i'm trying to, <laughs> i'm aiming at that that's like a really good level because he's done so many shows and just his delivery and his, his ability to do a solo show as well as a monologue is something that's really inspirational to me. And when you see him on camera, he's great on camera. He has all these things. He's got all this really, this, this media package like that he's taught himself to do, which I'm self-taught as well. But his message sometimes just doesn't resonate with me. But I, I, I watch <laughs> right. him and I listen to him. In, in spite of his message. And sometimes his message even kind of grinds my gears a little bit. I'm like, 
you're in, why would you say that, man? Why would you go out there and say that publicly? And and I sort of find, I check myself and I'm like, well, it's okay. He's allowed to have an opinion about something. And I kind of just take the things that I like and I and I get rid of the things that I don't. So, you know, really, really, really super important points you got there. Really appreciate you sharing that. Well, I think as well, um, you can go outside our space, right? Mm. So yeah, dead right. I, I follow everyone from, you know, like, the outspoken models to fitness instructors yeah, and just totally. all kinds of characters. And, and that's healthy as well. And the same thing works for business strategy. It's like, I will regularly steal ideas, but the best way is to do it from people who aren't in your industry because they mm-hmm. couldn't care less. It's like, mm-hmm. we've, we've taken some great ideas from the company that we have our video hosting with. We're not competing with them. Like they really couldn't care less if we're like, Oh, that, that shot looks really good. Or I love how they launched that product. And then we apply it to a completely different industry. So again, I think that creates a richer personality for you, but I think it creates a richer, more varied business strategy as well when you're just picking and choosing and you're not in one space listening to one person. And um, yeah, as we've touched on, that gets really extreme. You look at some of the comments and they're like, this guy is God. Like, you know, every, every word is, a, is genius. So it's like, whoa, whoa, like calm down. You know, that that is so true. You know, so long as... I listen to a lot of military stuff as well, you know, and if I stay in that military genre as an ex, as an ex military guy myself, I find myself like it kind of annoys me after a little while. I think the other thing that's really important, especially for men, is to listen to some females on podcasts and listen to some yes. other, some completely different points of view. Cause every now and then I pick up stuff and go, man, you know what? I, I, I live with my missus and I've got a daughter. I know nothing about the way women think. I know, I think that I know, I think I know these girls, but that's what they really think. And I hear these things <laughs> in a different perspective and it's actually like pretty fun. And it's something that's not so over yeah, right. all the time. A little bit of female comedy where there's a couple of girls, you know, uh, freestyling with each other, talking about a show, doing interviews. There's some really good ones out there that are, are really, really fun. There's one out there that's really good. And I think that, all guys should listen to actually it's it's called guys with well fuck, that's what it's called that's what the podcast <laughs> is called if you haven't heard of that you should google that and listen to that podcast it's really cool it sounds pretty facetious and it's exactly what the title says but there's some really important underlying lessons in there in and around sexual health in and around all sorts of things that guys like me and you in a conversation would never talk about but then you realize how actually important those issues are to women and how important they are to someone like myself as a dad with a daughter so it's good to get a little bit of different perspective on it right yeah massively and that's that's how real life works i, I feel like there's often this disparity between real life and online <laughs> where we behave in a more blinkered way online than we do in real life it's like to give you an example my girlfriend and her family are vegan and i'm not but through that i think i know more than 95 percent of people about veganism now because you know i get it through osmosis and try to educate myself a little bit and that's great because that makes you more broad-minded right mm-hmm. no one ever like whether it's politics diet health whatever you never want to be just dead on one thing and and can't see the wood for the trees it's an it's an interesting i guess you know to use jocko's word again it's an interesting dichotomy you know i asked you that question before who would you go and visit in the past and maybe a grandparent or something like that and they never had access to the wide, the vast amount of knowledge that we have. And we've just got so much available to us. I think there's something I looked the other day, it's like 600,000 podcasts that are out there now. And, you know, there's something like 19 million different episodes or something like that. There's a billion downloads every month. It's an incredible 
vast amount of information out there and you know I, I put these things in my ears and I listen to Rob on the Go All In podcast and I'm influenced by him but re- literally there's like 499,000 other people you could be listening to but you're choosing <laughs> to listen to me listen to some other stuff as well you know what I mean but make sure you subscribe to this podcast but <laughs> out there. and it's and it's a really really interesting dichotomy from where it was just one or two generations away to where it is today it's it's a it's a big thing that makes you appreciate your listeners even more, right? I didn't realize it was that many. I'm like, oh, damn, someone's actually taking the time to listen to what I have to say. <laughs> yeah, the, the scale of it is huge. So I'm really appreciative of the thousands of people that listen to this podcast and and get back to me on a, on a monthly and a weekly basis sometimes when I put out lots and lots of content and shows. I really appreciate them listening in and tuning in. But they're not tuning in to me listening. They're tuning in because people like you have got great stories, which is really cool, which I really enjoy as well. So, yeah, and I, I, I really like what you're building here for the record. I think it's an example of getting it very right. Awesome. Well, I, I want to move on from that and I want to learn a little bit more about design cuts because uh, one of the really interesting things for me as I looked at your website is in, in, as my, in my background as a digital marketer, I love to look at other people's websites and I love design. I love all of that stuff. And as I was doing the research for this interview, I looked at the website, design cuts, and I'm like, hey, that's pretty cool. And I clicked on something and I went, that's cool. And I clicked on something again and I went, that's cool. Wow, look at that. Look at that. And I saw I saw a deal. I wrote it down here. You get 1,400 templates, value $597. Buy it now, $39. And, I, and I'm like, whatever. I, look, I clicked and I went, look at that. Look at that. The dwell, time, <laughs> the dwell time on your website must be incredible. What's the average time someone spends on it? I, I think I found myself there for like 20 minutes before I went, oh, hang on. <laughs> I'm researching this guy. I'm not looking at these design things. It's awesome. Thank you, man. Um, yeah, it's pretty high, to be honest, the engagement and the time people stick around. Our whole ethos, right, is quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. And I think whether that's design or, or marketing or business, that is the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. So essentially what we've done is recognize that out in the world, there is a sea of this stuff, right? There's been an explosion in people making digital products. And <clears throat> a lot of it isn't that good, right? So it's a real problem. You go out there and you have to kind of dig through a sea of noise to get to the good stuff. So we thought, why don't we only offer the good stuff? So we got a team that goes and mines for it. Mm-hmm. So you get it all on one, one platform and people seem to really enjoy that. It's like, you know, I don't have to dig through page after page. You just get handed the best stuff for what you happen to be looking for. I think the first thing that I clicked on was, as I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, whoever's listening to this podcast, but here we are in November of 2018. And the first thing that I clicked on was like these little Christmas polar bears. And I clicked on it and I was <laughs> yeah. like, that, and, the, and then they show in, as I scroll down, it shows me what you can use them for in a Christmas card or in a storybook and doing all. And I was like, man, that is like so cool. That was so, and I had all of these design ideas with my daughter to create these stories and get these cards out there and do all these things. It was really fun. Who, who is it that's behind all of that and selecting that high quality stuff? Because as you say, there's a sea of that out there. How do you disseminate between good and bad? And how do you resonate with most people? Well, I think it's arbitrary and subjective to an extent as with most design, but it's just, we've hired the right people. That's a job I didn't let go of for a very long time because mm-hmm. I was so precious about it, but we now got someone in house who's super talented. Like we literally have a job called curator. Mm-hmm. Like that's how seriously we take this. Everyone else tends to open the floodgates. It's like, we'll take whatever's coming. Um, and she's like the, the gatekeeper, right? She's going full on Gandalf. She's like, you know, you shall not pass um, with the uh, with the bad, <laughs> bad design. Yeah, it was really hard. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you, man. I appreciate that. And um, yeah, like I, I love being that curated. I would rather be smaller 
book quality any day of the week. And you're right, people are creating Christmas cards and stuff they sell on Etsy and all kinds of stuff. And it's such a random niche. If you tell someone at a dinner party what it is that I do, they're like, really? Like, and you, you have to break it down for them. But, you know, we, we collaborated with one of the greatest illustrators recently on this pack. We did a webinar, 700 people showed up. It was like a, fl- a flurry of comments and everyone's like, I'm just making this for my niece and da, da, da. like, and, and they go nuts for it. And that's the coolest thing in the world. It's like a real, uh, if you're not a designer, I don't think you realize how deep people stuff go, rather how deep people go into this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Well, look, I, I'm not a designer, but I've built like literally hundreds of web uh, websites in my time and many apps, and I've, I've built all sorts of like online IT products for different customers and for myself as well. And, and it felt like there was something for everybody on the site there, but there wasn't a lot of stuff for everybody. There was something there that you, you would look at and go, yeah, I could use that. Oh, look at that. Look at that. And, and, <laughs> and one thing led to another, and I went back on the page and went forward on the page. And <laughs> so Anyway, the listeners can check it out when, when they're ready. It's just designcuts.com, and I'll make sure the links are included in the show notes. What, tell me, Tom, what, what have you learned about running a team of 15 people? What have you learned about leadership, and what have you learned about yourself? So much, because prior to this, I'd only managed remote teams. So this is completely different. I think I've learned it's the hardest, but also most rewarding thing in business. I think it is literally a journey of self-discovery. I think you have to wear a lot of different hats. If, if you're a good boss, that is, and you actually care, you end up being like kind of mentor and parent and cheerleader and teacher and, and bad and bad guy at points and friend and, and all of it. And it's constantly learning. Like I continue to learn, but I know I'm much better at it now than I was five years ago. There's been a lot of mistakes along the line where it's like, you know, even, even stuff like you want to be the friend, but you don't want to be too close and you need to keep those lines there and how to build a proper culture and respect people and, and not want to micromanage and give people autonomy. Like there's a reason, right? It's like a whole industry of books teaching this stuff there is and i i do believe like the best way to learn is to do it on the job i'm also lucky that we have some of our shareholders who've been in this kind of stuff for like 25 years so definitely along the way they've been very useful where it's like okay you've dealt with this 18 times this is the first time i've ever dealt with this and even stuff down to like hiring I'll give you an example of how we hire. Like, we'd put out a job ad. We will, uh, if they make it through to a phone interview, we do a phone interview. We get them in for a proper interview and we go like super in depth in that. And then we get them to come in and sit with the team and we fire like random questions at them. And I just sit back and watch how they interact and then if they kind of gel with the team and they're a good cultural fit. And then we have them in for a trial shift because sometimes they're a good fit at that stage, but they come in and fall out with people or they're not as good as they purported to be at interview. So stuff like that might sound quite obvious, but it's only through years of trial and error and seeing what works and the people that work and the, and the people that don't that you get there. And now my favorite thing is like when it, it shouldn't feel like an uphill battle, like don't get me wrong, a CEO, you walk into a problem every single day, there's always something going wrong or, or some fire to fight. But I think it doesn't have to be as hard as I, I thought it did four years ago, because now we got a family and people look out for each other and they're all super nice and super talented. 
and we all respect each other and that's how it should be so you know of course some people need to push in the right direction or a bit of encouragement or a show to cry on at points but i think i think that's what you should aim for you know you should like your team you should want to hang out with them you should have a bit of fun together now i i can see i asked you that question right at the start what would you do if money wasn't an object and you could pick anything i can see why you pick what you do because it sounds like the people are there that that really kind of that's the most rewarding part of it all right yeah massively like we did an internal survey recently which was kind of scary because i was like i want you guys to be brutally honest and it's anonymous so you can and we did it with all our staff to help us improve and the the results are really really glowing which was great but as much as everyone said they love the work the culture came top when it was like what's your favorite thing all of them are like the people hands down they're like never worked in a place like this Mm-hmm. it's awesome and and that's been really really nice to see and i think a lot of stuff with um with managing a team comes down to the small stuff like so many friends and family say to me whether i work kind of lazily or i pull out all the stops and i work super hard at the end of the day my boss doesn't bat an eyelid right and that's crazy to me so i make a point every day with all 16 people in our office being like ah oh, amazing job today good work today when they're walking out the door and that's got to be like a running joke where I'm not there and they tell each other that because they're like, oh, Tom's not there to say it. And I've been on calls like this where people are walking out the door and I'm like, oh, great job. Da, da, da. And the person on the call is like, hold on, do you say that to them every day? And I'm like, yeah, because they, they do a great job. Why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. And it takes me two seconds of my time, no effort, no money. Like it's just the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a distinct lack of that in management. And the more I dig into that and talk to more people, you hear some horror stories and it's like, I, I just don't get what most managers are doing. Like I'm, you know, I'm certainly not perfect myself, but I'm, I'm going in with the right intent at least. Mm. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds like what you've got there is you've got good buy-in and when you get buy-in from your staff and the staff are on board with what the, the leadership and your intention is as a leader they buy into that. And once they've bought into that, you can kind of, well, you know, I don't really need to lead these people so much. All I've got to do is kind of guide a little bit more. They they know what's going on. They understand what the intent is and they're moving forward. It sounds like you fostered a nice culture there. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, it's the thing I'm proudest of with the company, to be honest. I would say two other things really are, are setting the vision and setting the standard. And they're two kind of different things. Um, But the vision, I think you can't say enough, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't want to boil it down to generic corporate mission statements or something like that. But it's like, what do we stand for? What are we about? Because that leads everything. Mm -hmm. So stuff like quality over quantity, like deeply caring about the customers. When you're essentially like pushing that on people every single day, so they're sick of hearing it, it does start to sink in over time and so when someone might respond badly to a customer or get frustrated they're like no like we do things that way and it just kind of helps reinforce that and then the setter of the standard is you're the last line of defense so even if you end up treading on people's toes at points or pissing them off the standard comes first right it's like you can't drop the standard you need to hold that up as like the golden chalice right of just we we can't drop that because then it's all worthless in my opinion yeah we're just going to drop our standards and get lazy and get yep. sloppy like you have to be the one championing that and then other people buy into that like you said I, I have a, uh, a another business partner in a different business and the minimum standard we have for each other is excellence 
And, you know, we always, <laughs> yeah. we always strive for perfection, but we understand intimately and deeply that there's no such thing as perfection. Sometimes there is. Sometimes you score 100% in the exam because you worked hard enough. But in life, it's pretty rare to achieve perfection and, and we achieve minimum standard of excellence and anything beyond that is is a bonus that we sort of look at each other and and pretty rarely pretty rarely actually because he's my business partner a, a little bit he pretty rarely he says good job but every now and then when he does <laughs> yeah. say good job and, and that's because there's an expectation there that when when you do something you do it to the very best of your ability and when when I ask him to do something he does it to the very best of his ability times ten and then you're like well yeah that's what I expected of him and that's what he expects of me and you know when you say good job in that sense in that sort of environment it's like i must have done a really good job that time for him to know <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's a little bit of an yeah, I mean, culture going on there between him and i but that's not happening with the staff so it's kind of okay it's a bit funny that, yeah like that's part of being the boss right the team get the guidance and and the pat on the back and the, and the good job the same as you is very very rare that i hear it mm-hmm. and this is part of you i don't know if you're the same robert but um i'm like i kind of want that sometimes yeah, you know, it's like, wouldn't it be nice back. occasionally if someone turned around and they're like, "I spent forty-five minutes making that stupid graphic for you, and you didn't even say good job." <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just want someone to turn around and be like, "Where to go, buddy?" Yeah. You know, a bit of encouragement. I, I think that's the whole stereotype of it can be a bit lonely yeah. at the top sometimes. You know, as much as you can interact and, and love your team and so on, when you are that last line of defense and you haven't got anyone behind you, if you screw up, no one's going to take the blame. Mm, right totally. like it's, it's squarely on your shoulders and yeah, and that's what we bought into so we yeah we can't complain about it but that's just the reality and that, that's our chosen path i i learned to measure my results by happy customers good testimonials and happy staff most importantly if if i've got yeah. if i've got that trifecta i'm on the right track and you know that doesn't always happen sometimes you get very cranky customers you've got to deal with that and you just got to take ownership of it and it's not what goes wrong it's how you deal with it and as you say you're the last line of defense you've got to deal with it that's just the way life is i have loved what's happened after any screw up with us because what i do is i'll generally put out a personal video and it'll be like here's a public apology from our ceo take full ownership of it yeah. and without fail every time you come out looking better because it's like, man, this is why we love design cuts. No one else, you know, reacts this way or cares this way. And I think there's such a valuable lesson there. So many people seem to shy away when something goes wrong and sweep it under the carpet. If you just come out there and like fully acknowledge it and you're really sincere and genuine in a, uh, a public apology, it can actually work wonders for your brand, I think. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, there's some really great lessons in leadership there and running teams as well. So I really appreciate you sharing that. I want to I want to go just shift gears a little bit onto the other side of that. You guys have got like 400,000 customers. That's a lot of people yeah. that have bought your stuff through that website. That's What's it like to have so many people buying your stuff on a daily basis? That's a lot of responsibility. How does that feel for you? Yeah, it feels like a lot of responsibility. <laughs> you better, you better um, well deliver it properly, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. It's, um, I think it adds a degree of pressure compared to, I remember, I remember our first 40 customers, right? So it's obviously a, a different order of magnitude now. Something I'm increasingly obsessed with, though, is like looking at the scale, but then boiling it down to the core of that. And I believe that when you focus on the core and do a great job for them, then it ripples out and makes the scale happy. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is I think in every community, you have your outspoken 
you know, evangelist for the brand and you've got the people who are buying everything and, and love you, like the true fans, right? That whole methodology. And I think when you really focus on them and do a great job serving them and listening to them because they're the ones giving you the most feedback, then you end up serving the 400,000 better. I think it can be overwhelming if you're like, oh my God, how am I going to, you know, communicate with 400,000 people in the best possible way. Yeah. But when you're trying to focus on the 40 or the 100 or the 200 or the 1,000 at the core of that, um, that helps guide your actions. Yeah, that's, that's beautifully, beautifully said. And if they're the ones, you know, it's the squeaky wheel that always gets the oil, of course. Um, but if they're the evangelist for your brand as well, it's great to, to have them on board. My brother and I, a couple of years back, it's about, about 18 months ago now, we launched a software product, an SEO software product, and it didn't, it didn't really get the traction that we wanted it to on the front end of it. And we had to pull the price all the way back because we didn't know how much to charge for it. We started at 100 bucks, went to 60 bucks, 40 bucks, ended up at 495 and people were buying it. But we were kind of disappointed okay. at the price point because it changed a lot. But what we ended up doing is getting positive feedback from people. And then people were like, wow, we love this product. Can you add this feature? Can you add that feature? And all of a sudden at that price point, before we were starting to get traction with it, we had no feedback from an audience at, at all because we had no customers. And then suddenly we had a whole lot of customers that were giving support tickets, asking for features and asking for all of those things. And suddenly the product just has improved incredibly since that. And that's only been because we've got live feedback from an audience, right? And in the scheme of things, when you look at it, it's not really that many people. Like you guys got 400,000 customers, but you probably only have a, a core couple of thousand brand evangelists that are really helping you to drive the whole thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And that is becoming my whole mission statement mm. in what I'm doing with my company, with my personal brand. I love it. I love going like so deep in the relationships with these people. And I just feel like the rip. Yeah. Like it's to give you an example, right? We've partnered with a few people over the years and we have legitimately had people like a partner with a million people in their audience and they've been outperformed with someone with 5,000 people in their audience. <laughs> That's. That is how drastic it can be in terms of engagement, black and white financials you get from it. Yep. It's the same way you've got all these influencers who are buying followers and that kind of thing. I call it vanity metrics, right? Yep. And it's meaningless. Like how many followers you have or how much traffic you have or how many members, we can all gain that. We've got 400,000 customers. Like we could legitimately have 2 million if we wanted to. Like we could do the thing of like sucking them in to trick them into signing up and then X, Y, Z. But we're, we're trying to like, believe it or not, 400,000 is still quality over quantity because mm -hmm. the quantity could be a lot, lot more. And you want them to keep coming back as well. Mm, There's no point in having 2 million yeah. customers that buy once. No point. Yeah. Like it's so much more powerful. You have people that are coming back and they're outspoken and they tell friends. Like that's been the entire model for how we've grown out the community. and it's less scalable in the sense that it takes real work and you have to nurture that. But I just believe that. And as well as it making business sense, it's fun. Yeah, exactly. Like you, know, you know your customers. Like you're a perfect example of that, right? You know your customers, mm -hmm. you build relationships and you listen to them and you touched on the agility that you can have when you do that. I'm, I keep uh, referring to it as shouting into the void. Mm. I think that's what most people are doing. They don't go and actually build these relationships. They don't listen to their customers and try and give them value. They're just kind of bellowing out there being like, care about my thing, buy my thing. And then they're like, why is no one buying my thing? Mm. It's because you're, you're, you're not like going direct to anyone. You're not building a community. You're just shouting.
It's a, it's a really interesting analogy. I, I don't call it shouting into the void. I call it shouting down an empty hallway. <laughs> yeah. At the kids who never listen to me. <laughs> really. Yeah, pre- precisely that. Like, I, I seriously, I love that example of your SEO plugin because that is that's true entrepreneurship, right? It's price point testing. It's listening to feedback. It's it's pivoting. It's adjusting. It's iterating and doing all of that pretty rapidly. You know, that's classic like minimum viable product idea validation. That's the stuff that works. You could have been stubborn and just been like, well, we're not going to shift the price and we're going to continue to shout about it on social media and suddenly we have no customers. It was a really interesting experience for us because the reason you don't know what to charge is because you know there's a market there, you you put it out there and they'll come, but you don't know how much they're going to pay and they don't tell you why they don't buy. You don't, you don't ever hear from the people that bounce off your website and don't buy. You hear from the people that do buy and want a refund or they do buy and they want some more features or something like that. But when mm-hmm. we realized when it was at that price point, we were like, oh, we've worked so hard on this thing. We'd spent much money on it. We thought it would be worth more to buy. And yeah. after, after that had happened, well, since that's happened, there must have been at least a 1,000 hours worth of development, at least and, you know, that's probably nine or 10 months worth of development. And we're lucky now. We put the price back up to 30 bucks for package one, package two, package three, 30 bucks, 40 bucks, and 70 bucks, I think it is. And it sells like hotcakes at that price point because the value awesome. now exceeds the price because we listened to what the audience said and we got there in the end. <laughs> it took a long time to get there, but we, we got there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it should be so basic, but I don't think uh, like 99% of people are, are doing that as well as you just demonstrated. Like you just said, listen to the customers. Mm. It seems so obvious, but I think people don't take it seriously enough. Even it's like, I, I, I have to remind myself, like even when that is at the front of your mind, it needs to be done more generally. So I'll kind of tick along and I'll have a busy week and I'll be like, oh man, I, I didn't listen to the customers enough this week. Like I really have to have to push it. And, and, it, and it's right. And, and I can understand why people don't do it as well because when somebody criticizes you, it's hard not to take it personally, particularly when it's your own product and you, and you have to really listen to what it is. that They're, they're not having a personal attack. I mean, they're not going to come and knock on my front door here and say your product's garbage and want my four bucks back. They're just saying, you, you <laughs> ask me for feedback, I'm telling you, man, this is not the way it should be. It should work like this or that feature doesn't work as you advertise, I want my money back. And it's like it's yep. hard not to take some of that personally. It's hard not to take that criticism. And they're not hating on us. They're just kind of telling you, but I don't want to be – it's perfect. If you don't like it, get out of here. And I can see why <laughs> people don't follow through with that and don't do something like that. Tell, tell me, Tom, you, your business is ticking along nicely. You've got lots of customers. You've got a great corporate culture there. What is it that keeps you grounded? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, the first thing that popped in my head was my friends because they're just taking the piss out of me. And so <laughs> you'll feel like I'm crushing it as an entrepreneur and then they'll just like tear you a new one. It's like, okay, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's that's the most honest answer ever. All right, I'm, I'm going to ask a self-serving <laughs> question here. My son just finished the last year of high school. He's 17 years old. He's gone on a little holiday. He's having another little holiday shortly. He deserves a break. He's worked hard in the last year. At school, he's done exceptionally well at school. He wants to be oh, um, a high school teacher. He wants to go to university starting next year, which is really cool. What a noble profession to go into, and I encourage him wholeheartedly to do that. But what would you say to a 17-year-old kid that's about that's just left school? What would you say to them? Oh, that is a, that is a good question. <laughs> I would say... I would say stuff, to be honest, that was very little to do with business. 
I would say that to try and really understand the stereotype of youth is wasted on the young. Because I know I experienced that. I think we don't take full advantage. We don't realize how lucky we have it. We don't realize how much available time we have. And I think just to enjoy it as much as possible. I think to, I'm, I'm sure, you know, he's a, a very kind of secure young man, but I think a lot of teenagers have their insecurities. I know I did. And I think just to get out of your own head and to focus, the best way to be less insecure and, and less kind of self-conscious is to focus on external stuff. So whether that's like, you know, going and doing a club over there or an activity over there or making friends over there or helping someone over there, I think that's the best way as a teenager to kind of thrive. That's something I'm going to teach my kids in the future, hopefully, because it's very easy for years to go by where you're like overthinking stuff and you're in your own head when you're at that age. So just to get out of your own head, take advantage of being young and enjoy it a bit. Beautifully said, beautifully said. I'll make sure I I pass on the wise words there. From from Tom Ross, that's really nicely said. All right, uh, I'm going to ask the serious the serious podcasting question that I ask a lot of my guests. Not all the guests get it because I don't ask it every episode. But I'm going to ask you. This is the Tom Ross that I that I know and I see in front of me now, and it's been great in the last hour to get to know you a little bit and learn about your leadership style and your customers and how you deal with that. And you've got an incredible story, by the way. That's an incredible government story. I appreciate. Oh, that. thank you, man. But. I see you here. How are you different from the last 18 months? If I met you 18 months ago, would you be the same guy or are you a bit more of a, you seem like a pretty relaxed and kind of grounded guy here. Were you like that 18 months ago? No, <laughs> in a word. <laughs> uh, no. How's it been different for you? How's that journey played out for you? Okay. I mean, I'd, I'd literally paint the picture for you. 18 months ago, I was still in recovery from surgery. So uh, I was still in a bad way physically and mentally coming out of that. I was seeing a therapist, which I'd never done before. I was starting up with a personal trainer because I, I looked at it. I was like, I can't do this alone. Um, you know, I had the support of my amazing girlfriend and my friends and so on. But I thought, I, I need some help here. Yeah. So I put myself a therapist and basically tried to shed some of my workaholic tendencies and find a bit of balance and nuance in life. Personal trainer was like, okay, let's get some of the weight back on that I lost from the surgery. But at the time I was, I was still probably on the floor. You know, I was there really struggling and trying to hold the company culture together, all that kind of stuff. So fast forward to today and, you know, I'm basically healthier, happier and more balanced still on the journey, still, you know, not like, perfect in those areas but it's definitely heading in the right direction and a lot of that i think comes from maturity i fully expect that right now i'm 30 years old right i fully expect when i'm 40 i'm going to look back and have a lot more experience and learn a lot more lessons and hopefully have greater balance and happiness than i do now that's that's what i thought when i turned 40 but it didn't happen <laughs> to being 20 and a little bit crazy <laughs> 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 no, little white I can't handle the hangout. Well, in that case, I'm totally looking forward to being 40 then. <laughs> awesome. That's beautifully, beautifully said. Well, as we close out the podcast here with the last couple of questions, tell me about what are your daily non-negotiables? What do you do on a daily basis to keep bringing your A game, to keep yourself focused and sharp? So I, I've been trying to push a healthier routine. That's been part of the whole uh, recovery and balance kind of thing. And so it's great that you said non-negotiables. I posted this on my Instagram recently and I went, here's what I, I have to have every day. I don't always hit all of them, but I try. So I meditate in the morning. I try long, and drink two liters. Uh, not long, like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that really helps because it's like, you know, how, how rarely do we actually stop 
in life. We're so frenetic, especially in this job. So it's just stop for like 10, 15 minutes, meditate. Um, some of the others include like try and drink two liters of water every single day. I see my trainer three times a week. So I'm staying like active and healthy, try and always get eight hours sleep. And so a lot of these, you'll notice, kind of go against the hustle culture thing. They yeah, were, say they're completely they, opposite. They, yeah. <laughs> they, they weren't even on the bottom of the list, Robert. They, were, they weren't on the list. So I was like, I don't need sleep. I don't have time for like exercise. Like, I, I, I don't need exercise. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need water. I'm just going to inject coffee intravenously. Like, so yeah, this stuff is really, um, it's at the forefront and like work and everything is secondary to that. Because I know if I don't get my sleep, if I don't have my health, I can't, I can't be a good entrepreneur. I can't be a good boyfriend. I can't be a good friend or a person. So that stuff has to be number one. Beautiful, beautifully, beautifully said. All right, Tom, well, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast, mate, and sharing your story with us. That was an epic one. It was a hell of a lot of fun. If people want to connect with you and reach out to you, where can they meet you online? Cool. Um, so my Instagram is Tom Ross Media, and my YouTube is also Tom Ross Media, but you can search for The Honest Entrepreneur Show, which is where I'm kind of talking about a lot of this stuff. And you've probably noticed my whole brand is trying to be pretty candid pretty transparent with this so i i would say for any of your listeners if they come over and literally dm me anything they're struggling with i will guarantee they get a video response with the best answer i can possibly give them it's what i'm trying to do right now where it's just my free hobby because i'm a massive geek there's no like upsell behind that it's just like i free you can tell i freaking love talking about this stuff i will hear like a stranger on the street murmur that they're starting a business i'm like okay we need to go for dinner so um yeah like anyone who wants to geek out over this stuff it's very unscalable but it's fun and i like helping with this stuff you know i think that broadcasting your message to the world is is the fountain of youth actually and it's Mm -hmm. it's for the exact reason you said there that that daily practice of meditation is really important to you because you've got to stop and I, and I try at some point on a daily basis to have some media-free time, no screen, no podcast, no nothing, often mm-hmm. because of where I live here in Sydney, um, it's in the ocean, and it's swimming, it might be out of my paddleboard, something like that. It's usually some sort of physical activity where I'm screen-free because I can't really have one um, because I'm on the water. That's, that's part of it. But I think the reason that you enjoy broadcasting your message to the world as well is because it's human-to-human contact with no distractions. You and, my, you and me have had this amazing conversation for the last hour. No distractions, no phone, no one coming in, undisturbed. And it's a really super fun. Uh, how is that? In the dynamic nature of it, it's great. Yeah. And for the record, I, I totally want some of your energy because I love your energy, Robert. And you're, you're a classic case of where I'm, I always say I'm so jealous of Australians because <laughs> compared to us here, like it's, it's been chucking it down with rain here. It's super grey. And so you're trying to kind of get pepped up for the day. You just mentioned paddleboarding. That's insane. It's like you've got the tan going on. You're out there paddleboarding at lunch. It's like the, there's your work-life balance, in my opinion. That's, That's a the answer for anyone listening. Yeah, move to Australia for all the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, thanks again for coming on the show, mate. Uh, maybe we can revisit this in a couple of months' time because there's been some good energy here and a great dynamic, and it's been uh, a lot of fun. Maybe a Facebook Live or something like that down the track. I'd really enjoy doing that with you. But for now, it's yeah. bye for now. See you, mate. Great. Thanks so much, Robert. 